tell you a funny story. Last week, um, Dean, uh, Dean, I was just mentioning that um, uh, my mum and dad started the church here and uh, dad passed away, how many years ago? Five years ago, would it be? Yeah. And um, last week out the back of the property here, I, another gentleman came through who is a church leader and he saw me and he said, oh, it's Hudson, isn't it? How are you? And I said, a bit cold and damp lately. I've been in, I've been in a dark place. <laughs> but um, then I said, thank you very much for the resurrection. <laughs> I'm going to... Am I struggling? I need a help. Say so when? A bit more? A bit more? I want, I want to hide my face, Pete. They don't want to, and they want, they want to hide my face. Yeah, that's good. Great. Cool. Hey, what an awesome God we serve, we live for. Uh, Dino before was talking about we're here to, because of the, our, our love and our service for the creator of the universe. And what an amazing God we have. And, what a, and look, the God who... Who rides the heavens? Who, who who put the stars in space? You know, and we spend millions as a as a planet on kind of trying to get to outer space and putting satellites out there and missions to beyond and beyond. And yet, we serve a God who put it all together, who has been there, who is probably there now. <laughs> in fact, a God who 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 made this place, who put it all together. A God who gave the lions their roar, the, the birds their song and the flowers their fragrance and, and the God who, who breathed his life into us. And, and knowing that he's a great God and what he has made, what he has done, and yet he, he knows and he loves us intimately. That's an amazing thing, you know. He knows, he knows the, the Psalm 139 says that, that he knows us he knew us before we were born. He's charted the days of our life. And he, even in the morning when we wake, he's still thinking about us. Now, I get up between four and five, which means that God's up before I am, thinking about me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he, Matthew it talks about him knowing the, you know, counting the hairs on our head, you know, and he's good at maths and subtraction. <laughs> But he's a God who knows everything and yet he, he pursues us. He loves us, you know. Everything that I've ever thought or, or, or said or done could be put on that screen behind me here. And I'd run with shame out that door. You would probably think, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> but, but God has seen it. And it, whatever he sees in my past, it doesn't cause him to love me less. And whatever I can do in the future doesn't cause him to love me more. He loves me just as I am. We sang before the powerful name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. I remember being at a, this is not the message this morning. I don't know what's going to happen there. But I was, um, we were in, in, in India some years ago and uh, we were at a Catholic convent uh, school and I was actually preached to these um, young girls and then and the nuns, and at the end of the at the meeting, they one, some of the nuns came up for ministry, and one of them was starting to 
demonstrate demonically on the stage. And one of the other nuns uh, saw this happening and, and grabbed the crucifix from around her neck to show it to what was the demon inside this other young nun to, to release to be released from it, you know. And so that didn't work. Showing the crucifix didn't work. And so the head nun speaks to another nun and says, go out the back. And so they got, went out the back and came back with a crucifix about this big. And 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 showed it to the tried to show it to the to the to the nun or to the demon who was manifesting on the stage, but of course nothing happened. And so they went out the back again and got a bigger cross. They they dragged in this cross out the back and of course showed it to the but there was but nothing happened. The woman didn't change. She still manifested on the stage. And so there's a bunch of us guys there. Bruce Belinda was one, and uh, Barry Delu was another, and Dave Trotter. We got together and we we just we just started to pray in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. And the woman was released, just like that, in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And I want to suggest that whatever you are going through this morning, whatever, whatever you are working through in life, whatever battle you're against, whatever seems to be, uh, uh, I guess, throttling your life right now, the power of the name of Jesus can release you from that. Okay? And all we need to do is the words of that last song I think we sang was, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul, all that I am. And that's what he wants because he pursues us. I mean, I, sometimes I get up and I'll, I'll pursue God, but I know that constantly he is pursuing me. His, he is after me. He wants me. He, he desires that I live for him. And um, I want to challenge you this morning that, that if you have never given your life to Christ, if you have never actually said, God, I can't handle this myself, I know that, that the way that I've walked, the way that I've journeyed is wrong, and I want to give it to you. I want, if, if, you need to do that this morning. If you've never done that, you need to. You need that more than the paycheck that's come in this week. You need it more than the positive result that you're expecting from a medical report. And if you're a young person, you need it more than, than, your, than your job interview. You need it more than your desire for a life's partner. More than anything, you need to link into him and know that you worship him and love him with all that you have. All right. All right, we'll close there, shall we? Okay, a question for you this morning. What does this mean to you? How many of you read this regularly? And obviously you do, because you're at church this morning, so you must read the Bible. But how do you treat this book? What does it mean to you? What's the purpose of this book in your life? What does it mean to you? Um, how, do, how do you respond to it? What is it to you? Anybody? It's your hope, okay? Can you unwrap that a wee bit when you say it is your hope? Right. Cool, yep. Anyone else? What is it? Sorry? A guide. 
in what way? Like. Yep. Okay. What else? A blueprint. A bit like a, a bit like a manual for life. Yep. Okay. Cool. An inspiration. Yep. Anyone else? A connection with, with God. Okay. Cool. Yeah, down the back. Yeah. Rory. Sorry. The beginning and the end. Yeah, it is that, isn't it? Yeah, cool. The Chronicle of the Life of Jesus. Yep, cool. All right. So the Bible can be many of those things. It can be a manual for life, just like it is when perhaps our car breaks down and we guys, after we've tried to fix it for half an hour, <coughs> and um, if we haven't listened to our wife about what's wrong with the car... You know, a woman's intuition is a great thing, isn't it? You can be out in the driveway trying to fix the car and you could have played around with the, with the petrol and, you know, they're making sure the carburetor's okay or, or the spark plugs are right with the electrics and that and, and nothing's working, the car won't start and, you know, your wife comes out and stands at the garage door and she puts her hands on her hips as if to say, haven't you looked at the obvious? And then she says, can't you see that the screws on the number plate are loose? And kind of appease her, you tighten the screws up, and then you get in the car and it starts. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I digress there, sorry. But, but the Bible is often, a we look at it as a manual for life, just as we, and when things aren't going right, it's not starting, we refer to the manual. It's a guide. It is, it is our hope. And it does give us an understanding of the life of Jesus and how we can connect to him. There's a saying that goes something like this. Many Christians treat the Bible like a drunk uses a lamppost, more for support than illumination. Interesting, eh? Meaning that many Christians will use the Bible when times are really hard, and that's, all, that's the only time they use it, when kind of their spiritual legs have got the wobbles, and they want some support, but they don't tend to use it so much as was mentioned over here for guidance. Okay. Now, there's a verse in Psalm 119 that goes, probably, we're probably familiar with it. It says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Meaning that your word, your wisdom, your, your truth, your insight about life, about me, about where I'm going, about this world and about yourself, your wisdom, your word, your truth is a lamp to my, to my feet and a light to my path. Now, in the Hebrew, the word lamp and light are totally different. The lamp is a word that we would refer to as a candle. So, for example, if the power goes out in the house and you want to at least be able to see where, where your next step is or where something is in the cupboard, you reach for a candle. And the candle only needs to, to enlighten enough so that you don't, make, you don't trip with your next step. That is the lamp into my feet. But a light into my path 
is the light that gives me a sense of where I'm going, my destiny, my, my future. My, now, God obviously doesn't reveal everything to us, but he does use his scripture, his word, to, as a light to show us where we are going in our future direction. Right. So as well as a manual for life, and as well as everything else and a light and giving us illumination, and as well as giving us direction, and as, as well as that, the scripture connects us with the creator of the universe. The Bible is also something else. And that's what I want to kind of develop with you a little bit this morning. If the first words of a book are in the beginning, and the last or the words of the second to last paragraph in the book are, they shall reign forever and ever, what does that tell us about the book? What kind of a text is that? In the beginning, and they shall reign forever and ever. What kind of a text is that? Anyway? It's a what? Sorry? Help me. Help me. Pardon? It's a light for your path. What kind of a text? That's good. What kind of a text or what kind of a book starts with in the beginning and finishes with they shall reign forever and ever or ever and ever? What kind of a book or what kind of a text is that? It's a narrative. Who said, who said that? Oh, you're, you've read my notes back at home, haven't you? I know that. <laughs> it's a story. The Bible is a story. It's an epic story. Now, in Genesis 1, of course, the, in the beginning, God created. Now, in Genesis 3, when God, created, when God created man, he was given the mandate to reign, to have dominion over the, over the earth. In Genesis 3, he relinquished that mandate, but in Revelation 22, it's restored, and it says that we shall reign forever and ever. So the Bible is also an epic story. It's a, an epic adventure. Obviously, it's a God-inspired story, it's a story with plot, with a huge plot, with a number of subplots. And it's some strange characters, some many different characters in this story. Some characters that we have an affinity with and there are other characters that we wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. But it's an epic adventure. Now, this is not just a story that we, that we observe, that we read, but it's a story that we're invited to be immersed in, a story that we're invited to participate in, to contribute to. Now, a few weeks ago, I showed a, um, a clip uh, from one of the Narnia films, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I'm going to ask Hunter, can you just put that clip on again, please, just in case you weren't here a few weeks ago, but even if you were and you've forgotten it. Have you seen the ship before? Right, here we go. Yes. It's very Narnian looking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, just another reminder that we're here and not there. There once were two orphans who wasted their time 
believing in Narnia nursery rhyme. What's so fascinating about that picture anyway? It's hideous. Edmund, it looks like the water's actually moving. What rubbish, see? That's what happens when you read all those fanciful novels and fairy tales. Edmund, the painting! Okay, thanks, Hunter. That, that kind of portrays what I believe the Bible attempts us to do or the, the, the role that the Bible has in our lives. It's not just something that we read. It's not a book that we observe. It is a manual for life. It, is, it does connect us with God. It does all of those things that we've discussed. But more than that, the Bible invites us to be immersed in its narrative, to be to be to be part of it, to be to, to contribute to the to the story. Tom Wright is a Anglican bishop and written a number of books, and many of us here have, have read his books or are reading as I am at the moment. And he says that the biblical narrative is a five act play. The first act is creation, the second act is the fall, the third act is God's interaction with the nation of Israel. The fourth act is the introduction of Jesus and the kingdom of God. But the fifth act, he says, is the church, that's you and I, and the responsibility we have when we're invited to actually work in pushing through to the conclusion of the story. Think about that. So we're invited in this fifth act of the play to push in, to work through with God the Creator in the completion of the story so it comes to the point where in Revelation 22, the people of God shall reign forever and ever. Interesting thought, eh? So... When we read the when we read the Bible, it's not just from an observation point of view. We become participants. And why why is this really important? Why is it important? Because because the story we live in will be the story that we live out. Because if we really grab hold of the end of the story and what that means to us, it will determine how we live our lives right now. Hang on with me through this, if you don't mind. A few weeks ago, we looked at that passage in Matthew 19, where Jesus makes a statement to the disciples, and he says, there'll be a time, he uses a phrase, there will be the renewal of all things. And the word renewal in the Greek is Palingenesia. We've talked about that several times. Palingenesia in the Greek is a two-part word. Palin means again or second time, another time. 
Genesea is beginning, or as we know it, Genesis. So there will be a, a second beginning, or a, another Genesis. And that is the end of the story. That is where we culminate. Okay. You might say, well, we've heard that before, and why are you flogging this and that? Because what we see, what we see in the future... And what we believe, what we live for in the future will shape our lives today. So we are shaped by the end that we live for. Do you understand that? Now I know that, that we are also shaped by stuff that's happened in the past. All of us have been. Many of us have had traumatic and difficult experiences in the past, some that we can recall, others that we don't even know have happened, but they shape us. In, in ways that affect us emotionally, spiritually, um, socially, and, and physiologically. They can have, they create shadows over our life. And all of it, maybe the, those of us have had or still having ministry and counsel and those, for those things that shape us from the past. Uh, look, I, I, obviously the most, I've been shaped, in fact we were both, both of us, Viv and I, when when our son died, would be the would be the the one event of the past that has shaped me forever. I'm different, in a good way, ultimately, because of a son who died. Now that's an event from the past that shapes us. So we are shaped by the past. I know that. I'm also shaped by Viv's cooking. You know, <laughs> creates a shadow over my feet. You know, <laughs> but I want to suggest that more so. More so, we are shaped by the end that we live for. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is being involved, being immersed, and participating in the story to the point that it will shape our lives today. For example, if, if we see the end as a world that is decimated by a pandemic or destroyed by a nuclear war or a world that becomes uninhabitable by global warming, the chances are our lives will be shaped with anxiety, with panic and fear, right? Now, if you or you have friends who don't think much about life after death and the God factor is kind of an unknown or an unthought of and just live life thinking that when you die it's all over and the philosophy philosophy really is um, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. If that's the way you live, that's what the, if that's the end you see, it will determine how and will shape your life of how you live now, wouldn't it? 30 or 50 years ago, uh, many in the church believed that we would be whisked out of here and we would end up spending eternity sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Now, all, all the, our time here is, is kind of waiting on a bus stop for the heaven bus to take us away. Now, when that is the end that we see, that shapes our lives for how we live today. And we care less about this planet the institutions and everything about that because we're going to be leaving here anyway and we don't even give any thought to the environment and the world that God's placed us in. So the end that we're, so where our lives are shaped by the end that we live for. By the way, 
um, many we may not believe about being kind of whisked away and spending our eternity on a cloud playing a harp. We may not believe that. But surveys tell us that most of our friends and our neighbours think we do. Interesting, eh? The point is that a person's life is shaped by what he lives for. That's why understanding the biblical narrative is so important. Because we see the end ultimately for what it is. We don't see the end as a world that is destroyed by, by an asteroid, by a holocaust, or by global warning. We see a world ending where all things become new. Isn't that right? It's not all new things, not all new things, but all things become new. And that the people of God reign forever and ever. Now, just allow me to go on a little bit here. I hope we're not running out of time. But this, this has really helped me in that. And I'm still kind of working through, so you'll, as, I'm, I'm, as I articulate this, I'm kind of still working through some stuff in here. So bear with me. Help me. You, you are, you, you are, are you with me so far? You, you, can't, you got it? Yeah, because that's good, because I'm going to lose you soon. Um, <laughs> you see, I, I live in two worlds. That's where I've lost you, right? <laughs> I live in two worlds. Now, you might think that's crazy. You might think I'm a schizophrenic or... Trevor, go find a couch somewhere, lie on it. A nice man will come and speak to you. He'll be wearing a white coat. You'll talk in gentle, soft tones. But I live in two worlds. The more I immerse myself in the world that I see in the future, the more that I understand the future and live in that, and the more that it shapes my life now, the more I realize I live in two worlds. I live in a world that's out there, but I, I talk and I walk and I, and I breathe the air in this world that I touch and I see. I live in two worlds. Now, I'm at ease, I'm at peace in this world that I live in. The more that I understand the world that, I'm, that I actually, that is my home, the more I'm at peace and at ease in the world that I am assigned to. You with me? You with me? Okay. Right, so what I'm saying is that I, even though I'm at ease here, I'm more acutely aware of how disturbed it is, of how polluted it is, how tainted it is by sin and by its distance from God and its separation, its rejection of God. And I, I know all that, but I'm also at ease with where God has placed me. Now, there used to be a saying that went something like... Um, Oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly use. You heard that? Okay. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that you can be so, so grounded, so immersed in the story and eternity that you are of significant earthly use when you really understand what the end is. And God takes your heart there and then enables you to live in the place that he's called you to live in right now. Now, the Apostle Paul talks a 
about this a little bit in a couple of passages. One's 2 Corinthians 5 and the other's Ephesians 6. And he likens Jesus' followers, the people of God, as being ambassadors. Okay? Now, an ambassador has a home somewhere, but he resides in a particular country. He has two homes, if you like. He lives in two worlds, doesn't he? An ambassador represents the country he belongs to but lives in the country that he's been assigned to. Understand? Okay. And we've been called to be ambassadors. Our home, our, we have a world that's there, but we have another world that we've been assigned to. We are, where we are to be um, representatives of the king. Now, in Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about us being made in the image of God. And we are image bearers. Now, the, one of the words for image in the Old Testament is the word statue. And in those days, in Mesopotamia and uh, in the Middle East, when kings or rulers of the land didn't have physical presence in a part of their sovereign state, they would erect statues so that people would recognise that the king was still in control. And this wooden or the stone statue was a, was a representation of the king so that the people would know that he is in control of the state. And so we, we represent the king in this place. Isn't that a good thought? Sobering thought, isn't it? But we also reflect, just as a, an ambassador reflects the characteristics of his home country and the country he's been assigned to, we reflect the characteristics of the kingdom, of this other world, and the world that we've been assigned to as well. But we also are called to be, to reconcile. So there are three R's in there, to, to represent, to reflect, and to reconcile. Now, we don't see much of that today in our world in, in terms of ambassadors, but in New Testament times when travel was very slow and when country leaders didn't have fast communication, they never had email or Twitter, um, they trusted the authority of their ambassador to make decisions that they would normally make. In other words, they could negotiate and bring peace. They could, they could work through and, and with different factions and actually outwork the, the authority of the king because of the king's lack of presence where they were. They were ambassadors. And so we have also called to, to reconcile. And Paul uses the phrase reconcile because he's also talking about us reconciling people with people to be peacemakers, to bring people back together, to bring factions who are, who are kind of disrupted and, and argumentative to actually bring peace in the community. But the call for also for us is to reconcile people to God, to introduce them to, this, to the head of the sovereign state, the place that we live as well. And so that's our role. Why is it important that we look at that? Because as we look at being um, relevant as, as people who, ambassadors, I guess if you like, if, as long as we represent and reflect and we're taking up the role of reconciling others 
to our Father. It's a good thing. You know, and often the, the struggle we sometimes have is the grey or the blurred area of the values and the characteristics of the land that we live in compared to the land that or the world that we, are, that we have been, that we would call home. Jesus in Matthew 6 <clears throat> makes an interesting comment. He says, don't, um, don't hoard up treasure on earth where it can rot and decay and be destroyed, but hoard up treasure in heaven. So he's not saying, he's not saying there's anything wrong with earth. He's just saying that it's an unsuitable place to put your treasure. Now, in those days, treasure was, was either precious metal or fabrics, textiles, like um, good, cloth, good quality cloth. And people would bury, bury their treasure or they would hide their cloth so it wouldn't be stolen. They'd hide it under the floorboards or in the ceiling space of the house, but the moths would get it and destroy it. Jesus is saying, don't do that because it'll be destroyed. Earth is a dumb place to, just to hoard your treasure. But there's a home somewhere else. Put it Put it here. Put your treasure. That's where your passion should be. That's where your treasure should be. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Okay? So why is it important that we look at the role of an ambassador? To be, to reflect, to represent, and to reconcile. Because I think the answers to how we are doing as ambassadors will define very much how we are working out and how we are progressing in the fifth act of the play. As we push in, as we move on and seeing the culmination of the story. And so the story we live in will be the story that we live out. I want to encourage you as you as you read, as you read the Bible, as you as you dig into it, to see it as an adventure, as a story, a story that that wants to drag you in, invites you to be part of, to be immersed in, and see as we, especially as you read the New Testament, how you can work with the, the, the God of this universe and as the Spirit empowers you and fills your life so that you become all that God's created you to be. And the story you live in will be the story that you live out. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a living word, that indeed it changes lives. It's changed all our lives as we've read particular parts and, and verses that have jumped out of the pages and just struck us so deep, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that it is a story, and Lord, you've invited us to be part of it, to be immersed in it, and to pick up the role of, of an ambassador to be... To, to reflect the characteristics of the, of the world that you have called us to live in. And Lord, to, to, be, um, to, to, re, to reconcile as well and to be people that bring others into a relationship with you. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're a God who's, who's got it all in store for us. And we bless you for what is to come. And in the meantime, we commit ourselves to work with you and bringing your kingdom about, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Great. Really good. Really good. I love the bit about uh, ambassadors and having the power to make the decisions. In law, it's called delegated authority. Um, and as I was sitting there thinking, I was thinking, isn't it cool that God has trusted us, that he's given us delegated authority to release things? What does the Bible say? Things that are released on earth are released in heaven and bound on earth, you know, and vice versa. We have the power to actually make decisions around that in, in keeping with God's will, of course, not our own selves heading our own way. But it's a wonderful thing that God has called us to journey with Him through this. So as we go out today, why don't we actually make use of that, not just come in here and go away from the mirror and forget it, uh, but we actually hear this, we take it, we put it into play this week and actually start being His ambassadors in this world to bring change. How does that sound? I'll pray and we can move to the last song. Eh? So, Father, I thank you for this great bunch of people. Thank you that you love them. And I pray this week as we go out into the highways and the byways, our workplaces, our, our schools, our universities, that you would be with us, that you would cause us to shine, that you would give us words to share with people who are dying to have the solution to their problem in their lives that uh, you would draw us to people who are broken and just don't know how they're going to get through and we can bring the word of comfort into their lives. Father, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Don't forget, don't keep them a secret.